This is the Mend It Pass podcast with Chadwick Hayward, episode 24. Welcome to MendItPass.com. Let's get back to bedtime. Hi, Pathmenders. Before we get started here, I just wanted to touch on a few housekeeping items. For those of you that are maybe looking for a different way to listen to the Mended Pass podcast, I just wanted to let you know that the podcast is actually available on Facebook video as well as YouTube. It's really just audio only with the podcast's logo as the picture for the entire episode, but it's it's another way to listen if that's what you're looking for. I also wanted to point out that in addition to the blog post having the links for the references that were pointed out in that episode, all of those, uh, especially books and documentaries and whatnot, all of that is added to the Mended Pass resource page. So feel free to check that out if you want a refresher about uh, the many books and documentaries uh, that have been referenced so far. And now, without further ado, this week on the Mended Pass podcast, I'm speaking with Miss Joyce Hale. Joyce has not had an easy life. She has struggled with illness literally from the day she was born. With the ambiguous diagnosis of sick child, from an early age she suffered all kinds of maladies. It took doctors 28 years before they diagnosed her with lupus. 28 years with a big question mark about why she was always facing some sort of sickness. Her medical problems continued to progress with limited, if any, relief from medications until she came to and adopted a plant-based diet. Today, Joyce shares her very emotional story and the long journey she has had. Well, hi, Joyce. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you on the show. I saw your post most recently in the Engine 2 7-Day Rescue, and you were saying that medical issues for you started essentially the day you were born. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that and what your childhood was like? Absolutely. Um, and that is accurate. I've been sick my entire life, and that's not a figure of speech for me. It's incredibly, quite literal. I was born extremely ill. I had measles and 103-degree fever. And growing up, I somehow contracted one odd infection after another. And they really never seemed to let up or became things that my doctors could understand why I was constantly being sick. And basically, I guess, for a need for a label, they coined me a, a sick child. And there were times when there was curiosity if it was because my parents had been in a car accident when my mom was eight months pregnant with me. So they thought, well, maybe that could be something to do with it. Maybe something happened while her immune system was being built. I don't know the science behind that, but it sounded like a good way to justify why I was sick. And we kind of left it there. It sounded plausible. Yeah, you know, and I don't have a scientific background, so it sounded good to me. And then it allows you to move on with your life, seemingly. And um, basically, over time, the condition just kept happening. And, you know, my friends would get the flu. I would contract the flu. But then I would miss a month of school, whereas they were back up and around after a few days, maybe a week. And, you know, it really took a toll on, you know, the psyche as far as, you know, my friends aren't as sick as I am. So is it really this acute trauma that I had 
while I was in the womb, or is there something else going on? And that went on through my early years, my teens. And then in my 20s, when I was off at school, I developed some sort of bleeding issue. Basically, I was over at the health center every day trying to understand why I was constantly bleeding. And they too, much like my doctors growing up, couldn't understand what was happening. Okay. And at the time, I was a dance minor in school. And I remember my instructor approaching me one day, and I knew what was going to happen. She questioned why I was incredibly pale, why I was so weak all of a sudden. And I had to explain to her this bleeding issue. And she asked what they were doing for me. And I said, well, they're running tests every day, taking vials of blood, which seemed counterintuitive because Marty losing blood and now they're taking blood. And she voiced some serious concerns for me. And I think it was one of the first times that I saw someone outside of me that was saying, this doesn't make sense. Hmm. And I know she was trying to help, plus she wanted me to be able to take her class better. And um, it just became very confusing why here I am now in my early 20s and still dealing with sickly kid stuff. You know, you can't be a sick kid and still be in your 20s. You know, there's got to be something more to it. Yeah. And, you know, you keep thinking that you're going to grow out of this phase and it just continues to get worse. So I ended up in a car accident maybe about a year after this blood issue had surfaced. And it triggered this onslaught of one issue after another, excruciating pain throughout my body. And these attacks would come on suddenly. And I remember I worked for a lab and I sat in a wheel, a chair that had wheels on the, on the, on it um, instead of, ca- you know, as casters. And the pain waves came on so suddenly one day that I doubled over in pain and went shooting across the room because of how violent it was. Everyone laughed. I tried to laugh with them, but it was tough for me because it had advanced so much that I'm questioning now, why is my body betraying me? But I'm trying to pretend that it doesn't matter. And, you know, to have doctors not be able to answer this, and now it's so outward to everyone, it became very troubling to me. So were you taking any medications or anything at that time? Like, what were they trying? At that time, they weren't medicating me with anything because no one knew anything. And one of the things I've learned over the years is that a lupus patient, it can be 10, 15 years before a diagnosis comes along. And you may go from specialist to specialist. They might offer a lot of painkillers, but they're not offering a lot of answers. And sometimes they'll even tell you it's just in your head. Um, I've done a lot of work over the years with a lot of lupus patients, and it's heartbreaking to hear how many people have been told this is all in your head, it's all in your imagination. When you are watching your body fight this war, and there are real symptoms happening, there are real illnesses happening, even if you don't know why, they're very real. And it really will play a mind game with someone going through such a chronic illness when they don't know why it's happening. So I'm grateful that I did eventually get my diagnosis, but I wasn't diagnosed until I was 28. So 28 years of illness before a doctor could finally figure it out. Wow. 
And it's really tough for people to understand because a lot of people, the diagnosis is they come earlier, they're more definitive. But 28 years of not knowing why your body's doing this, um, it, it hurts you emotionally and mentally at times. And it, and it makes a lot of things that are deemed normal, like relationships and jobs, a little bit more of um, a fine dance you have to do on hiding things so that people don't think you're a hypochondriac. Um, it's not as taxing on the people around you. I, I was literally told one time by a friend, it's exhausting to be around you with everything that happens to you. And I think my only response was, it's really exhausting being in this body when this is happening to me. Yeah. So you do spend a lot of time smoking mirrors and pretending that things aren't bad, which is really sad for a patient that's going through a very re real illness. Yeah. So what happened in that seven years that led up to that diagnosis? Um, during that time, and I do think a lot started triggering with the car accident I had, but it was still vague. You know, it's difficult to connect the dots with a condition like this because one flare, it can be attacking my lungs. The next, it is attacking my skin. The next, it could be attacking my blood. So, you know, with the immune system taking a turn against your body, it doesn't always want to pick out one area. So from flare to flare, it's different. From patient to patient, it's different. And I do think that has a lot to do with why it is so difficult for a doctor. There's not a cookie cutter answer. You have this symptom, you have this symptom, you have this symptom, you must have lupus. There's a lot of various tests. The tests can read different from one round to the other. So being able to pinpoint it and sometimes fearing to put that label out there, that once you put that label out there, now that patient is stuck with that label. So I think sometimes they want to try and rule out so many other things before they finally pop that label on someone because from a Western medicine standpoint, there isn't a cure for it. Yeah. And to tell someone in the prime of their life where, you know, it's mainly diagnosed during what I hate to say, um, especially for me with what I lost is childbearing years. Mm. So to throw an incurable disease label on someone during the prime of their life, I don't know if maybe doctors want to be a little bit more cautious throwing that label. You know, it's just, it might be a guess, but the test, the testing um, for years was relentless. And I knew that they had suspicions, but they never wanted to do that. Um, it actually was a day when I woke up, climbed out of bed, and fell to the floor. I could not walk. And I had to have someone come over to my home, take me to an urgent care center. They ran a bunch of tests. They saw a ton of concerns. They said I needed to be in with specialists. They did give me some medication to get me through until I could get the appointments that I needed. And by the end of the day, I was in the emergency room strapped onto a table as I was rejecting all the medications. Okay. That's one of the things I've learned about lupus over the years is not only is your body unable to distinguish itself from foreign substances or foreign invaders and the attacks become confusing instead of attacking a foreign invader it's attacking its own body but it seems that it also has difficulty knowing how to recognize 
a medication or a substance and how to metabolize it and utilize and extract what it's extract what it's supposed to. Hmm. So I reject a lot of medications and over the years of working a lot with a lot of other patients that have dealt with this, they too reject medications. And if you want to add an evil twist to this, a lot of the medications that a lupus patient is given aren't designed for lupus patients. They're designed for other illnesses. They're designed for similar symptoms that a lupus patient might be experiencing, but they're not dedicated to lupus. So, you know, maybe it's the body rejecting or maybe it's because we're treating an illness that doesn't have medications dedicated to it the way other illnesses do. Yeah, you're treating symptoms that are that have other causes. Yeah. And, you know, and I mean, we've all seen the ads on TV where you see the long list of symptoms and someone steps back and wonders why would a person ever take that medication? The symptoms sound even worse than the actual illness sometimes. But when you're desperate and your body's shutting down on you you sometimes feel as though you don't have a choice. You've run out of other options and this is all the doctor is able to do for you. So you do eventually end up with a cocktail of medications that I don't think anyone ever designed to all put into one person's body, let alone a body that's not going to know what to do with all of it. Yeah. And that really is what happened after the diagnosis came about. I never wanted to take medications, but knew I didn't have a choice didn't have another alternative. So over time, you introduce a new medication. The symptoms continue to progress. You introduce another medication on top of that one. And um, it's a downward spiral that becomes just as frightening as all the years leading up to the diagnosis. Yeah. So they, they started persistently prescribing medications to you, but it, you didn't really see it slowing things down. It was It was some way to mitigate the progression only. Right. Um, I, I, I say that the medications were useful enough to buy me time. Um, and I can only say that because of my being able to have hindsight now from where I stand and the condition I am in currently. But at the time they were just literally getting me by, um, but they were never getting me better. They were never stopping the progression of the disease. And at times, and hindsight's wonderful for the for these kind of aha moments, at times they may have been major contributors to additional symptoms and additional debilitating moments in my life that may or may not have existed with or without it. It's you know, you can never draw that line in the sand, but there's a lot of questions when you start looking at all those side effects from those drugs, especially when you're mixing so many of them all at one time. Yeah. And only increasing the dosages over as the years progress. So was this a daily struggle for you or was did you did you have down periods where you felt reasonably healthy or we're jumping over years here and I'm trying to understand. Yeah, we 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 are and I didn't want to do uh this is my life. This is what it was like when I was 10. This was what year 11 was like. So daily life was difficult. Um I remember a coworker asking me why I pushed so hard when I had a good day. And wasn't I afraid that I would use up all, all the energy that I was allotted for that good day. And, you know, wasn't I going to make the next day harder? And my response to him was, I don't know when I'm going to have another good day. I may have one good day in a month. 
I may have to go two months before I have a good day. It was rare for me to have two good days in a row. So you try and just suck all the life out of it you can while you have it um, and be grateful for those little glimpses of normalcy because they were so rare by that point in my life. And the medications were just getting stronger and stronger, but so was the disease. And it was, I wasn't heading down a path that was very promising. I don't necessarily want to say I was ever given a death sentence. And I know other people have. Um, but for me, over time, what started with mysterious infections, infections that wouldn't go away, um, they would biopsy some of the infections at one point half of my face was all open wounds. Oh, wow. They ran biopsies on of it on them and could not come back with anything conclusive. And all they could say was it's dying cells. That didn't really help someone that every day had to cleanse these wounds and cleanse them without being graphic would basically open them all up, pack it full of medication and then hope the next day it would be just a tad bit smaller. So that could take months to get rid of these wounds. So I was quarantined a lot. So quarantined in your home or in the hospital or? Well, I had, at times both. There were times I was in the infectious disease ward, but there were times where I was basically quarantined in my home. Okay. So I'd had friends come and bring me food. Uh, at times I couldn't drive, um, but then sometimes I'm working and I could work through it. So it, it varied. You know, you had these varying degrees of illness. Very seldom did I have, once I reached my late 20s, did I have periods of time with great health. Um, so I was really envious of a lot of people around me that had those wonderful periods of great health and they could go watch soccer games, they could be in the sun. These were all things I couldn't do. I couldn't be in a room full of a large amount of people for fear that if any of them were sick, what was I going to take home with me? Yeah. And, you know, without the wounds, then you do become quarantined for the fear of any infection setting in. And so that's when the medications start piling on because the body's obviously at such an extreme level of illness. And over time, I developed neuropathy and I, you know, I lived in my naive world, never had neuropathy. I had heard of diabetic neuropathy, didn't realize that that was something that could be part of my illness, too. And unfortunately, not only could it attack every organ, it can also attack any, any system within your body. And I would wake up screaming in the middle of the night thinking someone was breaking my legs. And then there were days where I just couldn't even walk. And I thought, okay, that's the worst it's going to get. We'll now start checking a medication for that. Um, but then, unfortunately, seizures developed. And that's when driving becomes an issue, working yeah. becomes an issue. And um, it became incredibly scary during those years because single, got to take care of myself and need to be able to work to have my health benefits. <laughs> Um, so I can afford all these great medications they're giving me, but I'm still getting worse. And, you know, you really don't see a light at the end of the tunnel when, you know, it's 
every system is now being attacked. So I still have the organ issues, I have the blood issues, and now I have this neurological component. And um, the, the darkness um, during that time is overwhelming for a patient. And um, it's, it's frightening that there are a lot of patients that go through this and they, not only do they not have answers, but these medications aren't stopping it. Yeah. And I think that was probably the hardest for me and the hardest for the people around me. That sounds incredibly overwhelming. It, yeah, it is. I mean, obviously, I'm emotional even just talking about it, regardless of how far I've come away from that. But it, but it is. It, it, it takes you to your knees, literally, emotionally, mentally. And, you know, you, you do lose hope. You know, um, I don't want to pretend that I always had this great faith. I really didn't at that time. And during that same time period, my bones were attacked, my joints were attacked. And I had always thought with lupus, it caused inflammation, it caused pain, it caused swelling. What I didn't know is that it could also attack and deteriorate bones. And I lost my jawbone. I was literally eating lunch one day and suddenly couldn't open my mouth wide enough for my fork to fit in and went to see several different doctors as to what was going on. I thought I had just had earaches for two years leading up to this during one of my hospital stays. They said, oh, it must be an ear infection. And then I was released and they hurt for two years. No one could ever figure out why until the day I couldn't open my mouth. And a doctor took a, a CAT scan of my head, flipped it to the left side of my head and said it looked like an ice cream cone and melted. Oh, wow. And the bone had disintegrated to a point where it built a ledge and my mouth couldn't open anymore. So that required a nine hour surgery to remove a rib bone, build a new jaw bone, basically cut open the head peel back the layers and build a whole new jaw, titanium plate, rib bone, all puts back together. And a lot of physical therapy to learn how to speak and eat again. Wow. And how old were you? When that happened, I was 37, 38, 38. Okay. So you had been, you had known you had lupus for 10 years at that point. By that point, And within that 10 year span, of finding that the diagnosis, the neuropathy, the seizures, the jawbone disintegrating, you can see it was very aggressive. Absolutely. And, um, and these were things I didn't know could happen. You know, I had very limited knowledge of the disease uh, back at that time. And, um, you know, so you put the pieces back together. I do the therapy. I learn how to speak and eat again. The hair grows back that they shaved off. And, Okay, I conquered that. I feel great. Um, I'm going to go on and tackle on my next level. And I want to say it was maybe about five years after that surgery when the other, other, jaw, this other side of my jaw starts going. And it didn't dawn on me that if it could attack one side of my jaw, it could attack the other side, which... Again, hindsight tells you so many things clearly, <laughs> but at the, in that moment, you, you think that you've beat the odds, so you know, you're good to go. And I remember going back to these wonderful surgeons that had done such a great job with my surgery, 
and them looking at me and telling me, yeah, it's not as bad as when we found the, the other side. You, you do still have function. It hasn't disintegrated, but it certainly has disintegrated and started to deteriorate since your surgery on the other side. And I remember asking them, what do I do? And the response one of these fine gentlemen said to me was, oh, you're just going to have to keep your lupus under control. And um, I think that was like one of the hardest things I had ever heard. Because here I am fighting, taking all these medications, doing everything I can to keep my lupus under control. And they don't work. It, it, that's just not something that happens. And I was devastated because, one, I don't know how to keep my lupus under control no matter what I do. And the second part is that by them cutting through my face and the muscles for the first surgery, a quarter of my face doesn't function properly. The, the nerves and the muscles didn't repair. So that was partially why I needed the physical therapy because you start using other muscles surrounding that area to learn how to form words again. Yeah, to compensate. Yes, exactly. So, you know, muscles up in my forehead on the other side of my face are all required to form words properly. So all these years later, they, the words formed feel foreign to me. But as long as they sound right, then I've achieved my goal. And so here I am listening to this guy tell me I have to keep my lupus under control. And when I ask him, once they cut through the other side of my face, and I already have a quarter of my face that doesn't function, how do I speak again? How do I eat properly? And he said, I, I don't have an answer for you. There's not an answer. And he walked out of the room. And I had felt hopeless and helpless so many times during this journey in my lupus, but I don't think there was a moment ever quite so low as that when he can't even pretend to give me a good answer because there wasn't one. Mm. And, um, you know, I just remember sitting in that room crying, thinking, what am I going to do with this condition? And, you know, there's not one doctor that has ever given me a good answer of how to stop this. So in that moment, you pull your boots back up and you go to work and you pretend that everything's fine again, because that's what I had learned to do for many years. You pretend that everything's fine. And, um, you know, I just remember that constant tug of war inside of myself of this act I'm putting on for all these other people and they have no idea what's happening. And when I go to the doctor, there isn't an answer. And um, I don't know if it was the stress of that news or the stress of a flare happening inside of me, but the seizures started increasing right around that same time. And, you know, it's like thinking to myself, you know, you know, that saying, God only gives you what you can handle. And I'm thinking, I can't handle anymore. And now the seizures are coming on with a vengeance. So my doctors offered a medical leave. That, 
was their best answer of, you know, let's see if we can get these seizures under control. Yeah. And so I had this moment while I took a few weeks off of work that said, you know, maybe I should have a cleaner diet. Maybe I should try this Mediterranean diet thing that everyone's talking about, you know, get rid of the processed foods, clean it up a little bit. Maybe that'll help. And, you know, I was doing all kinds of holistic stuff on this medical leave. So I thought that would be the answer for me. And I have to tell you, it really did change things for me. Um, I felt for the first time some of my medications were working. During the three weeks I was off work, my seizures stopped. Okay. So you were following the Mediterranean diet then? Yeah. Yeah. Just okay. a cleaner diet. Not, nothing, nothing special, but, you know, getting rid of the box stuff, a lot of the chemicals. Um, but, you know, still had the fish and chicken. I definitely had the dairy. I ate a lot of eggs. And I'm going to tell you, and I know anyone that follows whole food plant-based diet, I ate a lot of eggs because everyone told me I needed a lot of protein. And I laugh at that now, but at the time I didn't because it seemed real. So, you know, here I am, you know, eating all of this stuff. And I feel that my medications are starting to work. By this point, I'm on monthly infusions that I go in once a month. They put an IV in my arm and they kill off some parts of my blood cells. And the infusions hadn't worked until I switched over to this cleaner diet. So I, I feel like I've done the best thing that mm -hmm. I could ever do for myself. And you know what? I'm going to show that doctor that I can keep my lupus under control. and I'm not going to have to have this other surgery. I did that for about eight months. And then all of a sudden, the daily seizures came back, multiple daily seizures. So I'd have three in a day. And I, it was devastating because I thought I had done the right thing. And I thought I'd find, found the answer. And my body is now all of a sudden saying that was fine for this little moment in time, but that's all you got. We're now coming back and the attacks were relentless. And um, I remember sitting at my desk one day and I was incredibly confused. I couldn't get my hand to write. I didn't recognize reports that I had written a week earlier. And it was a colleague that walked in I turned around and she was just blown away asking me, how many seizures have you had today? And I was so confused and such a stupor that I didn't even know that I had had seizures by that point. Oh, wow. Um, because, it, you know, and I know these aren't the proper medical terms, but in layman terms, I describe them as a short circuit and misfires. And the residual effects would leave me incredibly fatigued, confused, and I couldn't recognize things that would be common when I'm not misfiring. And I took a step back, and once the stupor wore off, I tried to figure out why I was getting these increases. And there was a medication that my doctor had given me for increased neuropathy. And I honestly, by that point, had stopped reading all the little pamphlets and the side effects. I didn't even care anymore, which was really dumb, um, you know, to put another chemical in my body and not pay attention. But at that point, it's just, you know, I didn't know any better. I, I was just trying to get by. And 
I started reading some of the side effects on it and realizing that I was moving backwards based on this medication she wanted me to try. And I know she was trying to do the right thing, but it backfired as a lot of medications had for me. And I was due for another infusion that week. And my coworkers were all upset because they knew I had to be as strong as I could be before I went in and killed off blood cells. And they were all thinking, there's no way with this many seizures that you could have an infusion. And, you know, I'm like, the doctors are experimenting on me with all these different medications. Why don't I run a little experiment on myself for the next four days before my infusion? And I was having the super antioxidant juices and smoothies and everything that was all the trends for superfoods and antioxidants. That was hitting my plate. That was hitting my cup. And it was bizarre that in four days, I was probably the strongest I had ever been for an infusion. Hmm. And I remember sitting there that day with the IV running in my arm. And I sat with two nurses back to back asking about what I'm doing with my diet. Can I be doing better? Because ironically, while here I am doing this Mediterranean diet, thinking I was doing this wonderful thing, my boyfriend, who will probably smack me upside the head for saying this, he was approaching turning 50. He was looking at his family history of heart disease, and he decided he was going plant-based. And I was having none of this plant-based stuff. And um, <laughs> it just seemed so foreign to me. And my thought was, because everyone kept saying, I need my protein, I know I need my protein. And again, knowing what I know now, I understand why that becomes almost laughable. But I really, truly thought I needed these eggs. I needed these things. They were making me whole. And um, I remember even one time telling him, I'm losing the other side of my jaw. I can barely chew food. Why do you think I can chew kale? And I'm pretty sure I referred to it as tree bark at the time. <laughs> and that was rude. It's funny. But I just, I couldn't imagine myself, you know, chewing this raw hearty green yeah. <laughs> it just it didn't make sense to me it was so foreign and, and no one else i knew was doing this and um you know so i commended him for what he was doing but i just kind of told him he needed to back off me so that day after four days of all the superfoods and antioxidants i'm asking these nurses am i doing enough with mediterranean or is this man that i've been kind of telling him to leave me alone who I know is approaching me about this out of love, should I be doing this? And you know, they were so wonderful and kind because they had seen me make some progress. And so they championed me and said, you know, wow, you're doing so much better. And basically it came down to, I was finally winning. And I thought, how absurd is this? That we wanna say that I'm winning as I'm sitting here with an IV in my arm killing off blood cells. Yeah. It's a strange concept of winning. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought if in four days I was able to tweak enough stuff to feel as strong as I'd ever had before going in and killing off blood cells, is he really onto something? Did he, he latch onto some information somewhere 
that I have not yet seen. And am I missing the bigger picture here? Because if I can fix what I did in those four days, can I do this on a bigger scale? So what did you do? Well, there's a, there was also a, a definite come to Jesus moment in there of me realizing what a hypocrite I was, not only for kind of telling him to leave me alone, but I had sat in front of my doctor, in front of my friends, in front of my family, and in front of him, and said I would do anything to stop this disease. And here I am telling him I won't eat vegetables. <laughs> I'm like, okay, there's something just innately wrong with me using that phrase ever again if I won't just hear him out. Yeah, I draw the line at carrots. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that quinoa I keep hearing about it's never going to happen, you know. So it was so bizarre because he was out of town that weekend while I was having that infusion, and I went home to sleep off the effects of the infusion. And I saw an ad for Dr. Oz that day, and there was a doctor that was going to be on talking about Alzheimer's, how to stop it in its tracks, how to prevent it. I thought, well, heck, that's really intriguing. And my nephew does research. This will be really great for me to watch and send him some of the clips. Okay. And so I'm off work. What's the big deal? You know, and now I'm actually around to sit around and watch TV. I'll check this out. And I was shocked. It was Dr. Neil Bernard. And he was talking about this plant-based diet that my boyfriend had been talking about. And I just remember standing there looking at the TV, shaking my head, going, it can't be the same damn diet. What are the odds? This is crazy. <laughs> and um, so it left it as this little fleeting moment of, wow, that's a coincidence. And then I went about doing my stuff and slept off again. And the next day, while I'm still recovering from the infusion, flipping channels, and there's a whole series of lectures that day on diet. And there are people beating MS, Parkinson's, type 2 diabetes every autoimmune condition out there. Heck, these people are beating cancer. And every single one of them, same thing, plant-based. Different versions of plant-based, but all whole foods, plant-based. That's when those come to Jesus moments start hitting really hard yeah. with me. And so it's now just not my boyfriend about to do the I told you so dance and happy dance in front of me, but it's coming from all these different sources all at one time, like the universe opening up the skies, dropping hint after hint on my lap, saying, you just asked these nurses, here's your answer. We're going to hand it to you on a silver platter, woman. You better damn well listen. <laughs> and um, it literally was in those moments that changed everything. And I said, you know what, I'm going to do this for 30 days. Everything else I've tried that's supposed to be a miracle has all failed miserably. It's been disappointing for me. It's been disappointing for him. It's been disappointing for my family. So I'm not going to tell anyone I'm doing this. So that way, none of them are disappointed. Okay. I'll handle the disappointment internally. And none of them have to deal with disappointment. And I couldn't keep it to myself because within three days of doing this, my coworkers were asking me, what are you doing differently? Something's incredibly different about you. And I just remember saying and finally admitting, I'm doing that diet that my boyfriend's been doing. Oh, the one you said you would never do? Absolutely one and <laughs> the same. Yes, I'm eating kale. I'm gnawing on the greens. And I feel great. 
And it was mind-boggling to me that something that simple, not only did I feel good, but the people around me, without knowing what I was doing, they were noticing a difference in me. Yeah. Um, people that had known me for five, six years that I've been working side by side with had never seen me so vibrant and alive. In three days. They, Yes, in three days. <laughs> so you can imagine what it was like two, three weeks in. And I think partly for me, it became so outward so quickly. And I know that's not the same for everyone was because of how ill I was at that point. I was being told I was going to go on disability. I'm having three, four, five, six seizures in a day. All of a sudden, I'm now not having any. And so I, you know, I know it's not the same for everyone, but for me with as bad as my situation was, I think for the first time I was getting nutrients. So when I said earlier that I couldn't metabolize medications and I rejected most of them, I've met a lot of patients that have nutrient deficiencies and it's, you know, we think it could be diet, but what if, even if they had an okay or what we used to deem a healthy diet, they just couldn't extract the nutrients. And that's when I'm starting to wonder about myself. Hmm. When I had my so-called healthy Mediterranean diet, was I just not still getting enough nutrients? Could I not break it down? Okay. And once I introduced this into my system, I, I mean, I think my body went into this extreme party mode, <laughs> knowing what to do with real food for the first time ever. And my body starts celebrating this beautiful whole food plant-based. And um, I did one more infusion the following month. And it was probably the worst decision I had ever made. Because by that point, my baseline had changed so drastically, I would not be a candidate for a doctor to say, let's go kill off some of your blood cells. Oh, okay. Now I'm killing off healthy blood cells. So it was a major setback to go to that next infusion. Um, so I basically just made the decision after that one, I won't be doing any more of those. It certainly raised a lot of eyebrows that I was going to stop the infusions on my own. But my thought was, I have a prescription of these that lasts about another year or so. If I get really, really sick, I can always call. They'll get me in, and we can kill off blood cells if we so choose. And the most beautiful thing is I've never ha I never had to make that call. I never had to have another infusion. That's incredible. And that was four years ago. Wow, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Um, you know, it is, it, it's quite exciting to be able to say that. As far as I was concerned, the infusions were going to be a part of the rest of my life, that there wouldn't be a time where I could envision not killing off blood cells. I didn't have a high quality of life, but it was one of the few things allowing me to still maintain, um, to go to work, yeah. to get up and semi-function, even though the function level was incredibly low. And to be able to stop those infusions and at the same time start reducing the dosages of my other meds, I just never thought that was a possibility for me, all because of some plants. Yeah. You know, it's so simple, but it, prior to doing it, just like all the stuff you read and the, all the feedback we get, 
you think it's radical, you think it's extreme, and it's the simplest thing I could have ever done. It is less radical than killing off blood cells every month. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, that, it, because it has been four years since I've done that, I look back and I'm just in awe of the extremes that I was going just to get through the day. But I wasn't really maintaining a great life. It, it, was, it was dark. It was, it was miserable. It was helpless. It was hopeless. And the disease was progressing. And all I had to do was change the fuel I put in my body and give it good fuel for a change. It was as simple as that, but it eluded me my entire life for four decades of illness. This was information that was never at my fingertips. And it, it's tough and it saddens me that it's that easy, it's that simple, but it becomes so distant from people. It's not information at their fingertips or because of the fear of failure or it's contrary to everything that we've learned all of our lives that people put on blinders to it. And I feel like I wasted time by fighting with my boyfriend to not do it right away. Yeah. <laughs> Fortunately, I didn't fight him for too long of a period of time. But wow, had I done this sooner, things I could have in my life, I, I you know, I, I miss my childbearing years and that's the heartbreak to me. Um, it's something I thought I would have in my life. You know, I, I know it's not granted to everyone, but I thought I would have that. But by the time I found plant-based health, I was already in my 40s. And so now that I'm finally at a level of health that I'm strong and can do things I should have been able to do in my 20s and 30s, you know, I know women aren't, usually don't tell their age, but I'm 47. So this really isn't a point in my life age-wise where I'm thinking about having kids, yeah. nor is my boyfriend who's a bit older than me. And um, so, you know, it's tough because I, I, I lost a lot of things. So when I see other patients that are struggling as I did, and I know there's something so innately simple right there, it's hard. It's very difficult to see and watch. And, you know, so the post you saw and a lot of the posts that I am constantly making, it's, it's my only way to, like, shout this from the rooftop, rooftops that, this is real, and I'm not the only one that has done this. While I feel that this is a miracle and an incredible gift I, I have been given, this is happening to people all over the world with all different types of diseases. In fact, there's parts of the world that don't even have the diseases we have here because yeah. they don't have the diet we have. Yeah. And, you know, so I, I have this whole pay it forward mentality that I do have to keep shouting it like every day of my life to be grateful and appreciative for this gift. I better damn well be shouting <laughs> this every chance I get because it's amazing. I'm not off my meds yet, but I'm probably about 97 ish percent off of my meds. That's, that's incredible. It's, it, it tears me up. It's, yeah. it's, um, it's something I never thought I could have in my life. Um, I, I think the easiest way to, to describe the dosaging, because you know, 97% is subjective, uh, depends on what you were taking and how much you were taking. Uh, one of the meds I was taking for my neuropathy and my seizures is 400 milligrams a day. 
that very same medication that is that I still have to take, I now take 25 milligrams three times a week. Wow. So 75 milligrams gets me through a week, whereas <laughs> 400 milligrams is what I needed to get through a day. And I was still suffering from severe neuropathy and having multiple daily seizures. I don't have either. Yeah, that's incredible. Yeah. So what I took in a day now lasts me five or six weeks. And I don't have the symptoms I had when I was taking it 400 milligrams a day. Um, so I'm, I know I'm still on my journey. Ultimately, I would love to be 100% off meds. I don't know if that is in the car to me. I sure as heck hope so. I have this whole seven-year goal by the time I'm 50, you know, <laughs> and um, the whole where people say, you know, your cells turn over in seven years. Um, yeah. Seven years, I'd be 50. And if I were 50 and med-free, I can't even imagine how much I would be shouting at people. Like <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's, it's an amazing gift. And I just, I think everyone deserves the right to have control of their bodies and their lives and control over what they put in it, especially if it's as simple as what they're putting on their fork. Yeah. So it sounds like, like your results were obviously profound and really rapid as well. Um, yes. So that sounds like you never looked back after that. I, I couldn't. Um, now, can I pretend that I didn't have missteps? That, that would take me back to that hypocrite phase. Um, I did something really careless probably about six, seven months into this. And, um, you know, coming off meds, probably was already off 25% of them, out having dinner with a girlfriend, and, and um, she wants to go and have some coffees afterward. And we're just going to go take a walk and drink our hot beverages. And I've never been a big soy milk person. And at the time, this particular establishment hadn't introduced almond milk into their selection. So I opted for 2% milk. I thought, ah, it's about six, seven ounces of milk. Probably not going to be a big deal. I'm not having a good time. I've got this newfound life. It'll be fine. So here I am, ironically, celebrating this beautiful new life I have with one of the things that had made me as sick as I was, dairy. But I wasn't really thinking it was going to be that big of an issue for one day, one beverage. And I woke up the next day and reminiscent of the day that really changed my life was I fell to the floor, could not stand up. Oh, wow. And for three days, it was just nonstop excruciating pain. Every step I took was like a lightning bolt shooting up through me. And so I didn't necessarily look back, <laughs> but I, yeah, I made a misstep. Um, you know, and you, and you learn from your lessons, they say, <laughs> I will never celebrate with a glass of milk ever again. Uh, it does not do my body good. And, um, it's, it's not something that my body can extract fuel from. That's a pretty strong negative reinforcement. Yeah. yeah. Oh goodness. Um, <laughs> I told that story last fall and this woman head of the group that I spoke in front of, she said, you're the canary in the coal mine. The rest of us, if we slip a little bit, okay, we don't, maybe we don't feel great, but we don't have such an immediate um, intense effect with your body and the way your immune system works. 
you are that immediate warning sign. The body just will shut down and I immediately trigger an immune response in my body by introducing any of that. And so my thought is, heck, if I need to be the canary in the coal mine and someone needs to use me as an example so that they don't make the same mistakes I did, I'm okay with that. You utilize me however you need to. But it literally is true with my condition. And I'm not exactly sure if that translates to other people with autoimmune, that if they would have that immediate response and reaction and rejection to it. But I know for my level of the lupus that I have and, you know, I struggled with, it is. It's an immediate trigger that it's not worth it. Fortunately, I found and learned over the years better ways of going about the whole food, uh, plant-based approach to nutrition. At the time, I was guessing, you know, at the time, I didn't know of Dr. Esselstyn. I didn't know of all of these pioneers um, out there. Brooke, Brooke Goldner is one that I have recently been learning about, and I know you and I briefly I touched upon her earlier. Amazing. She beat her lupus. Yeah. Uh, this past weekend, I had the privilege of meeting Sarai Stancic, who beat her MS. So it's real there, you know, so while I'm merely a patient that did this and kind of played this experiment on myself, there are doctors out there that not only beat their illnesses, but now they're pioneers that are treating patients. I wish I had had that information when I started this journey four years ago. I might have made a few less missteps. Um, But fortunately, over the last year is when I've been exposed to all of these amazing doctors that are doing things without patients looking for a magic pill. Yeah. So did you, have you seen a doctor about your jaw since you converted over to plant-based? I actually have not. Um, What I can say is the problems that I was having on a very regular basis at that time aren't happening now. Okay. Um, you know, if I went back, they could certainly do a comparison, but the jaw was causing a problem on it on a very regular basis. It is pretty rare for me at this point in my life for that jaw to bother me at all. Okay. So my thought is instead of wasting the money and going through all of that, I'm going to be happy with that aspect of it. I still see my rheumatologist periodically. It's pretty rare that I have an appointment with her anymore. And I go through the annual series of blood work just to make sure and check all the levels. And, you know, there are fluctuations. It's not perfect yet, um, but the direction it's heading has has been uh, a a beautiful path. Um, The one thing I was told that I probably couldn't undo was some of the damage to my kidneys. And so I had taken that at face value that that was always going to be the case. The level of my, you know, the function was where it was going to be. Probably wouldn't get worse, but I probably couldn't undo some of the damage. And I'm happy to say that the last round of tests showed actually contrary to that, that I have improved my function tremendously. Oh, wow. So those are my gauges <laughs> without going in and having them take a look at that jaw again. Um, 
is going in and doing that, that blood work periodically and just looking at the level of disease because again, all that doctor told me was keep your lupus under control and you'll be fine. <laughs> so I'm gonna I'm gonna take that for what it's worth and Fair say, enough. you know, I didn't think I could do it, but I, I I'm definitely keeping it under control. And the flares are much more manageable. Um, where I told you earlier I was if I had a good day, I tried to cram everything I could because I didn't know when I'd have another good day. It's the complete opposite now. Um, I have so many good days and they are consecutive. And it's, it's rare when I have a bad day, but when I do, they don't last very long. Hmm. So to have that complete flip, you know, it's not something anyone had seen as part of my future. Yeah. That's just amazing. And I, you know, I, I'm, I'm beyond grateful for that because it's just, you know, I, I had made up so many excuses before and justifying, you know, what was happening to my body and accepting the new normal is something you learn as a patient with a chronic illness that you have to let go of your past and accept your new normal. Well, I love that now. I love <laughs> accepting my new normal. It's the most beautiful thing that could ever happen to me. Oh, that's awesome. So I ask all my guests if they had some advice for a path mender who's just starting their journey or are on the fence, uh, what would your advice to them be? Um, this is something I kind of had to learn with some volunteer work that I do where I get exposed to a lot of patients and their concerns over how my doctor would feel about me making these decisions without my doctor being part of it. Um, possibly being considered non-compliant. And so through that process, I had to learn the beauty of wordsmithing and um, not go on the attack of um, people that didn't tell me about this years ago and saved me a lot of pain and suffering. But uh, take, I had to take ownership. And I was able to approach it with my doctor that, I'm not counting on you to fix me anymore. I'm counting on you to stand beside me I, I, and do this as a team. And I have to be accountable for the choices and, that I make and the missteps that I make. I can't blame anyone now, now that I know better. There's this uh, quote that when you know better, you should do better. And so it is hard to consider moving backwards from that. But I think where the most important lesson I've taken from that, this is this is my body and I have the right to take back control of it. Um, I have the right to decide if chemicals or plants are going to be part of that plan. I have the right to be strong, healthy, happy and whole. And if for some reason someone doesn't think that I have that right, this may not be someone I need to be partnering with. And, you know, we look at certain experts in their field as the end all be all but sometimes you know your own body and you you, you know taking back control of it, it has been the most empowering wonderful thing that could happen in my life and i wish and hope that for other patients that are struggling with chronic illnesses to question things to ask things to look for something better and maybe give their body and their future a chance again, as opposed to what typically happens with chronic illness. Um, 
you know, I'm all about quotes and motivational moments. And I had heard the quote before from Hippocrates, father of medicine. And I don't think I ever took it to heart until I started following whole foods, plant-based diet, the whole concept of let food be thy medicine and medicine be thy food. Yeah. And it, it's so simple and it's so real. And I, I wish other patients could find that path for themselves. It, it's a wonderful future. Yeah, I hope, I hope everyone takes control of their own health and, and does what's best for them and, and finds they're healthy. Yeah. I mean, we all deserve it. Exactly. And I, I, think it's, I think it's closer to a lot of us than we realize. Um, you know, I, I, I didn't think it would be this extreme of a difference for me. Three days. Um, I thought, yeah. <laughs> um, and like I said, I know that's not the same for everyone, of but course. I also know that that was how severe my condition was. And apparently what little nutrients I was getting from my previous diet. I've heard a lot of people tell me that it's been like, you can count the days on, if not one hand, two before they saw reasonable benefits. So yeah, and I, I have to say the food tastes so much better now. Yeah. The flavors that I taste that I never tasted before. Um, you know, I, I know there's this concept sometimes that it's a bland diet or that it's not real exciting. And, you know, there's that term foodies. Um, my boyfriend and I, we are definitely foodies. And I think we're enjoying what we eat now more than we ever did before. And while, you know, we all are familiar with those side effects and all those crazy ads on TV, I like to say with this, we have all these side benefits that we never thought would happen. Yeah. So I will exchange side effects for side benefits any day, <laughs> taste food the way I taste, the way it tastes now and get to live this amazing life and make up for all this lost time. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you so much for joining me, Joyce. Your story is absolutely incredible. Like I, I was holding back tears at certain points there. It, it's just overwhelming how far you've come and, and what what benefits you've gotten with such simple changes. I just say thank you for allowing me to have this platform. Um, I, I, I want this information to get in many hands as possible. Um, it's so hard to watch suffering. And if I can help one person reduce their level of struggle, then it, it's it's worth everything I'm trying to do right now in my spare time. So thank you for allowing this to happen. It's a worthy goal. Thank you for being here. <laughs> thank you. Well, that's it for this week. Thanks so much for listening to the Mended Pass podcast with Chadwick Hayward at www.mendedpass.com. Producing this podcast truly is a labor of love. I really hope you've enjoyed the show. If you have, please consider sharing it on Facebook or other social media. Help us spread the message of how much health benefit people can get by simply changing what's on the edge of their fork. Thank you so much. See you all next time. Visit and get back to bed. Dad.